Hello and welcome to the Injury Prevention Podcast from BMJ Journals. My name is Brian Johnston. I'm the Editor-in-Chief. With every issue, our podcast features a paper that we've recently published in the print edition of the journal Injury Prevention. This paper is our editor's choice for the issue and it can be freely downloaded online. You can visit injuryprevention.bmj.com to obtain your copy. You can also leave comments there and link to our archive and to our blog. The editor's choice for the August 2015 issue is titled Spatial Analysis of Pediatric Swimming Pool Submersions by Housing Type. And to talk about the paper, I'm joined by the lead author, Dr. Rohit Shinoy. He is a pediatric emergency medicine physician, coordinator of the Houston Trauma Link Coalition, director of injury prevention at Texas Children's Hospital, and associate professor of pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine. Welcome to the podcast, Rohit. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. So uh, let's just start. Your study focuses on pediatric swimming pool submersions. Can you tell us how big an issue this is in the Houston, Texas area? So Brian, uh, as you know, Houston is located in the warm southwest area of the United States. Um, it's about 50 miles from the Gulf Coast. And most of the submersions we see involving children um, are those uh, with, at swimming pools, about 70% of them. Um, maybe about 20% to 25% are those involving bathtubs. Uh, and then a small percentage involve those at bayous, creeks, small ponds, etc. You don't see too many uh, ocean drownings because uh, that's at Galveston. And there are two big children's hospitals here in Houston where we annually see about 60 cases of submersions. <clears throat> that includes both submersions with fatalities and those without. Um, there's been a steady influx of population over these past several years, mirroring um, that as well. Our hospital has opened a satellite hospital at West Campus, so the numbers of submersions have increased gradually over, over the few years, um, all submersions, that is, with children, to approximately 60 to 70 per year over the past four years or so. Looking at the uh, Harris County, that's the county in which Houston is situated, there are usually about 11 to 12 submersion deaths every year. There was an uptick in 2008 and 2009 about uh, 16 and 15, respectively, but the crude death rate per 100,000 population has been around 1.1 to 1.2 or so. So what was the specific focus of this particular study? What research question did you hope to answer? So we do know that minority populations have a higher risk of pediatric submersions, and we wanted to investigate this uh, elevated risk more closely. In an earlier study, we observed that there was no difference in the outcome of uh, pediatric swimming pool submersions um, victims uh, based on the age, the ethnicity, um, and the location of the pool. Location of the pool, I would mean if it was an apartment, property, or single-family home, etc. But um, most of these studies have been done where the mortality and mobility rates have been calculated using the age-specific population. But you don't actually look at the actual swimming risk, uh, risk of submersion. So we wanted to look at the number of pools as a predictive factor for submersions. And to, to do this at the census tract levels, uh, so in order to, to better get a handle on the exposure risk for submersion for these children. 
So in order to do this, you uh, employed some rather sophisticated spatial analysis methodologies and algorithms. Can you explain uh, for us what these techniques allowed you to ask or the questions they allowed you to answer that you perhaps couldn't have done using more conventional epidemiologic methods? So with the spatial uh, analysis, there are actually two. The first one is to identify clusters, what we call hotspots. And uh, so this is to cat characterize the problem. It's like as, you, as you're looking from the air, you know, you're going to see where the air is involved. Now, if you, if you take a simple um, latitude, longitude coordinate and you kind of map it on the map, you, you would see several of these dots. You probably would see that on Google Map or something like that. But what we used was a spatial technique called the nearest neighborhood hierarchical cluster. It's called an NNH. And what it does is actually it, it, uh, it tries to map these um, clusters, so, so to say, of submersions, uh, which are considered more closely than what would be expected with spatial randomness. So there's a randomness to all these, uh, these submersions, but if there's something over and above that, then this is what it would pick up. And what's even great about this technique is that it's more precise. It can actually give you exact boundaries. So for a city planner, you know, you want the the area in which you want, you know, these, these streets, for instance, and things like that. Do it in, as a first order. You, you know, you can say, I want, I want to see the five submersion clusters, swimming pool clusters, 10, that's what we used in a study. But um, then you can take the second order clusters and, and see if there's a second order to it. So you get a larger area. But so this is what it does. So that's the first technique. It's characterized the, the issue. And the second technique is a spatial regression modeling technique. Now, the normal Poisson log normal one, which is used in in our situation, uh, the number of submersion events there's a low sample mean. It's much smaller than the number of geographical units, the census tracts, for instance. So we had about 260 instances of submersions. 220 were the ones we could actually locate geographically, and then 761 census tracts. The number was smaller. In that case, you cannot use the um, traditional Poisson gamma negative binomial model. So what we used is, was a conditional autoregressive CAR for short adjustment. So what it does is it allows the residual error to be broken into two parts, that which is spatially clustered and that which is not. So the advantage of this is that once you've got these clusters, then you look at the model. And you say, okay, we've got these uh, the residual error, which is uh, which is spatially clustered. Look at this more carefully. Are there some things in the model? You put some of the factors in the model. And those those uh, those are there in the in the box, which is included in the paper. Something over and above, which is not written in the model, which which uh, which may explain this error. And so this could be in the form of maybe some kids want to swim, uh, but they don't know how to swim. Impose. So that's what it does. So for a city plan, you might be able to look at it more closely and say, okay, there's something unmeasured. I need to, to look at it more carefully. So those are the two things which it does. Given the visual or spatial nature of, of these analytic methodologies, the results, I think, are best portrayed visually, which our listeners can see if they go to the paper and have a look at your figures. But uh, can you briefly verbally summarize what you learned? So the first thing was uh, that the submersions at multi-residential properties were spatially concentrated, whereas those which were the single-family homes was not, so those were more dispersed over the whole area. So that was the first thing we saw. 
Uh, and then um, we also saw that the children living in multi-family units with pools had a higher risk of submersions relative to kids in single-family units. If it was measured by the number of children, 0 to 17, that was like 2.7 times, almost three times higher. And if it was measured based on the number of swimming pools, that was 28 times higher. So that's a really high risk for that. Um, and then also we found that um, this risk is, uh, there's a, if it has a higher number of pools per census tract, as well as a high number of children less than 18 per census tract, that also would be associated with submersions. What was interesting was the um, demographic variables didn't seem to come into the uh, reduced model. So that was interesting because that's something which we wanted to study in the first place. Were there results that surprised you, things that you hadn't expected to find? Um, I think so. It was uh, it was really um, surprising because we found that these multi-residential properties had elevated risk and they were spatially concentrated. So here was what appeared to be an initial daunting challenge, you know, that's how do you figure out how to tackle this community-wide problem. Uh, now we know where we need to go. So that was like really cool, actually. And that leads me to my next question, I mm -hmm. guess, which is uh, based on the, the, the nature of the results that, that you obtained through this study methodology, what kind of prevention actions could be taken or perhaps already have been taken in Houston uh, following up on these, these results? Um, how do, do your findings actually inform or translate into prevention activities? The first thing we did, we did was to circulate a survey among the apartment property managers through the Houston Apartment Association. We made a survey among P2 and we sent it to them. Unfortunately, we've not had a good response rate, and I can, we wanted to see what problems they face, what's the, you know, uh, what are the opening times of the pools, things like that. So we decided to approach the city of Houston actually with the commercial pool citation data. Now, the city of Houston, it, it conducts uh, annual swimming pool inspections for all commercial properties. Uh, this involves apartment properties as well as, you know, hotels and motels and so forth. We've got data actually from 2010 to 2013, and um, you know all the citations like absent uh, fences and uh, water quality and you know Virginia Grand Baker Act farm uh, violations, things like that. For that, we, we now we can identify the properties with the greatest number of violations. So they would obviously benefit most from education as well as regulatory measures too. The second thing is my hunch is that. I'm not sure whether pool code violations are associated with sub, uh, submersions per se. Uh, my feeling is that poor supervision may be a larger factor. As you see, our kids are one to four, most of the kids who are having these submersion incidents. So maybe these pool code violations may not be as big a factor as supervision is. And that's something which I have to really drill down, and it's, it's really hard to prove or disprove whether supervision is that factor because it's really hard to, to study that as a study. Thinking more broadly um, and reflecting on the methodology that you were able to employ in this study, what other lines of injury prevention research would be amenable to these spatial analytics? Where, where might this uh, technique be helpful? Injuries, uh, the environmental factors, the social factors, um, which um, which determine where these injuries occur. So if you see that there can be unintentional injuries as well as intentional injuries. Um, things like violent incidents, uh, motor vehicle crashes, gunshots, um, child abuse. It's helpful to characterize this. And 
it might be um, in areas where there's um, low social capital, uh, where you might see these areas concentrated. We did study that in, in child homicides um, uh, and, and the relationship with community resources such as WIC offices and, um, um, and clinics and so forth. Um, and we found like, uh, you know, so, so areas where there's poverty as well as single parent households, so that it may be concentrated this, in those areas. In Chicago, I read that what's surprising is that even these areas may have asthma, uh, patients with asthma may be concentrated in these areas too. So it may reflect a, a broader community ill health, so to say. So, so that's where this injury, uh, these spacious mapping techniques would be helpful in, in violent injuries and some types of chronic disease as well, separate from injuries, and, and also accidental injuries such as swimming pools, maybe car crashes. My co-author, Dr. Levine, is actually studying the relationship between late-night alcohol-serving establishments and crashes involving drunk drivers to see where, you know, where these crashes occur, how close to the alcohol-serving establishment. Well, you have hard data, you can go to the legislators to, to do something. And which brings me, I think, to my last question, which is, what is on the horizon for injury work at Texas Children's? Do you have other projects underway you want to tell us about? So, Subversions, we, we partnered with our sister, uh, with the neighboring children's hospital, to actually capture all submersions for the city of Houston and Harris County, most of them, actually, like which this paper did. So, we're looking at the salutary role of uh, bystander CPR in theoretic submersions, actually, to see how the... Uh, or the survival of that. The other one we're looking at is to study the association of pool safety citations and submersion incidents. As I said, that was the segue to the next study to see whether really the, could these really translate these citations into submersion incidents. On the child passenger safety front, we are um, studying uh, in among our pediatric residents, we're comparing an online AP module for. Uh, child passenger safety with a hands-on education. Let's see how, how they compare uh, both knowledge and skill-wise and comparing that over a six-month period to see whether the, the, you know, the knowledge and skills deteriorate or not, things like that. So there are a few of the studies we're doing right now. It all sounds like good work, and we look forward to seeing some of the results uh, in injury prevention. Sure. So that was, uh, that was Rohit Shinoy discussing his paper in the August 2015 issue of injury prevention titled Spatial Analysis of Pediatric Swimming Pool Submersions by Housing Type. The paper is this month's editor's choice, and as always, it's available without access restriction at the journal's website. I'm pleased to remind our listeners that injury prevention is celebrating 20 years of publication throughout 2015. You can look for special features and content in each issue. And that wraps up uh, this edition of the podcast. Please join us in October for highlights of the next issue.